Our first lesson is uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4b to 14. And uh, here, Paul is uh, writing from a prison cell. And Paul begins this passage outlining all of the things he used to count on as his greatest attributes. He uh, is a member of the highest tribe in Israel. He's an accomplished scholar of Hebrew law and a man of impeccable righteousness. Yet, none of this and none of these things matter anymore. So let us listen to his faithful testimony. If anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard to as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If I somehow may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson comes to us from the Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse. Listen again to God's word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. And Mary, Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, 
one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common person, used to seek steal what was put in it. And Jesus said to him, you leave her alone. She bought it so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, open us to Christ's sacred presence with us now. Help us to receive him at the table and to hear his words that we might know your deep abiding love for us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're coming closer and closer now to the cross. Jesus has healed the sick, welcomed sinners, embraced the outcast, confronted the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees. He's taught the crowds turned water into wine. He sent his disciples out to teach. He has even raised Lazarus from the dead. But soon, soon at Passover, he knows that he will enter into Jerusalem and be greeted by chanting crowds, waving palms, and then be betrayed and persecuted and nailed to the cross. And this, this is what happens in between, in between all of his days of teaching and healing and challenging and his days of entering Jerusalem towards his death. Martha and Mary and Lazarus are hosting a dinner in their house, a feast of gratitude to Jesus, and his disciples are there with them. But before dinner is served, Mary takes a pound of the costliest perfume and rubs his feet with it and wipes them with her hair. Why? Why does Mary do this and what meaning does it have? One commentator notes that in the Satyricon, Petronius of the first century CE recounts an unheard of piece of luxury when during a banquet slaves brought an ointment in silver basins and rubbed it on the feet of those who were reclining at table. And Plutarch also recounts a magnificent banquet at which the feet of the guests were bathed in spiced wine. 
Mary's action is that extravagant, extravagant indeed beyond measure. The whole house is filled with the fragrance of this nard in sharp contrast to the stench of decay of which Martha warned Jesus at their brother Lazarus's tomb. And though Mary is preparing Jesus for burial, the contrast is still striking for Jesus' death will not lead to his body's decay, but to his resurrection. In an oblique way, the perfume's fragrance suggests that Jesus would not experience corruption, but instead be raised to life and the glory he has always had with his heavenly Father. The contrast between Mary and Judas could not be more clear. Mary pours out this costly nard worth 300 denarii, a year's worth of wages. Mary kneels in humility and with the intimacy of a sister cleanses his feet using her own hair as a towel. And Judas? Judas, with his selfish, hypocritical cruelty, disdains her. This is no surprise. And though she could not know it yet, Mary's action even anticipates Jesus' own humility in just over a week. When Jesus gathers for his last supper with his disciples for Passover, he will astonish them by humbling himself to kneel at the feet of his followers and wash their feet as well. Ironically, he will even be washing Judas' feet, all the while knowing that Judas will betray him. Judas chooses selfishness. Mary chooses extravagant generosity. Judas chooses spitefulness. Mary chooses overflowing love. Judas chooses hypocrisy. Mary chooses humility. Judas chooses wealth for himself. Mary chooses to empty herself to honor Christ. I'm reminded again of the practice we have every Lent, naming what we will choose and what we will set down. If you haven't taken a ribbon yet, I encourage you to do that today or in these days ahead to write your own offering, write what you will choose and what you will not choose, what you will set down. There are ribbons and markers here and when you have done so, tie it to this cross, a sacred offering to God, an offering that honors Jesus costly sacrifice.
for you. It is not too late. It is not too late. Isn't that what Paul is testifying to in his letter that we heard today? Paul had devoted his entire life to what he thought really mattered, checking all the boxes of social expectation, enjoying the privilege of his birth status, achieving success in his career, reaching the pinnacle of education, wielding enormous religious authority and zeal, preening about his righteous purity. In his words, if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. This passage has always given me pause, has always made me wonder What have I run after that I thought was valuable? What have I treasured as success? Was it my GPA, my degree from Yale, finishing my doctorate and getting an honorary doctorate to boot? Was it my success in my work, cracking the stained glass ceiling for women. <laughs> Was it the boards on which I served, all the publishing and recording that I've done? And it makes me wonder, where have I felt a failure? Where have I known the shame of losing status or voice or privilege. It is not easy to pursue such thoughts, but it's crucial nonetheless. Lest I devote myself to things that never really mattered, except for my own pride or worldly achievement. There are just two weeks left in Lent now. Now is the time for us to make a choice. What do we really prize? What do we really value? I'm so keenly aware of the pressure of achievement so many in this church are under. These weeks are full of public competitions for success. The Grammys tonight. UCLA basketball playoffs late last month for both the men's and women's teams. The Oscars last Sunday. Now, the press for those achievements is exciting and deeply fulfilling. And it's also true that the weight of those competitions is extraordinary. I don't envy any of you who are in those fields or those who were 
competing for the Emmys or other music awards, or for that matter, those tied up in academic pressures and rivalries or legal battles or political fights or our children's sports or a thousand other things. And there is nothing wrong with using our gifts well. With pressing ourselves to do our very best, there is nothing shameful about that. But this we must also know. We must know where our true value lies. We must know what is of deepest value to the Lord our God. I don't, I don't want to get into the painful question of what happened or what should be done about Will Smith and Chris Rock on stage at the Academy Awards. But I want to give a shout out to another moment. The moment Lady Gaga appeared with Liza Minnelli to introduce the year's Best Picture nominees it was not lost on me, of course, that House of Gucci was not among them. <laughs> what mattered much, much more was this. Liza Minnelli in her wheelchair and appearing anyway with no shame. Lady Gaga saying, see that? They love you when the crowd gave a standing ovation, not once, but twice. And even more, when Liza Minnelli struggled with the sheets of paper and muttered, I don't understand. And Gaga graciously said, I got it. And took Liza Minnelli by the hand and again and again until at the end of the presentation, she knelt down at Liza Minnelli's side and softly said, I got you. And Liza Minnelli whispered back, I know. What Mary, the sister of Lazarus, knew is this. The most valuable thing in the universe was that Jesus was with her, that she heard him say, I got you. What Paul in prison knew is this. The most valuable thing in the universe was knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord, to be found in Christ, not through his own righteousness, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. That Paul heard Jesus say, I got you. We cannot know what lies ahead in our own lives. But whatever is ahead, we can press towards the goal for the 
prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. We can all press on to that heavenly call until we hear his call to each and every one of us, his call to you and me, saying, I got you. Until we can all say, it.